Warning, this episode contains foul language, graphic descriptions, and minor spoilers for seasons one through five of American Horror Story. Weirdos, you are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week, we sit down with a guest and we talk about something weird. weird. This week, however, we are doing something a little different and a little special. It's the absolute best month of the year, y'all. It's October and Halloween is a coming. <laughs> So we are celebrating by recording a bootyful episode oh with God. just the ding-dang-dong two of us. And we're keeping it weird as always and getting a little creepy-crawly for the holiday as we dive into some of our favorite seasons of the show, American Horror Story. Did you know that most characters in the show are based on someone real? Yeah, that's right. Those crazies you see on your television are based on real-life, horrible folks and events. Get your costume on, grab your plastic pumpkin or extra-large pillowcase, and let's go trick-or-treating for some spooktacular tales. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos. Hey, everybody. Happy October Halloween. Best time of the year. Best time of the year. Time. Time. Um, so one thing that I remember about Halloween growing up that I really loved... And I don't think it's a thing anymore because I never see them. Do you remember how exciting it was to pick out your trick-or-treat bag? Yes. It was a huge thing. You could get designed bags yeah, that had they like were little like plastic pumpkins bags. or yes. Yeah. And like some of them lit up. Yep. I do remember it's that. fucking awesome. You never see that anymore. What do I people truly, use? I don't know. Maybe it's, is it mostly the plastic pumpkins? I never used one of those. I never used one of those either. I got too much swag, baby. <laughs> too much swag. Couldn't fit. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I know you can't fit that much in there. That's why we would either do one of the cool bags you could get at the store or a pillowcase because yeah. they hold so much. I never used hand. a pillowcase, but I I really have like an affection and a nostalgia for like old school Halloween, mm -hmm. like uh like the antique, antique, yeah, antique, the antique like Halloween pictures, like the old ones. Yes, and I have them like, yeah, like framed have in some my of them apartment around year us round right because now. I love them so They're much. They're so spooky and wonderful. Like homemade masks. Yes. I love homemade. I love me a homemade mask. Yes, they're and extra I, scary. Yeah. I'm yeah. Into it. Yeah, they are. I'm looking at them right now. That's why I had a moment of pause because they're so horrifying. They and are also, terrifying. That little girl, how does she have that giant pumpkin on her head? And um, how is she holding it up? <laughs> I feel like her shoulders would be breaking. She is very frail. <laughs> She's quite frail. And that pumpkin is large. I did find out recently that these uh, pumpkin pails that I have all over my apartment, I have too many, you probably should have kept some, have holes in the bottom of them, oh, they which do? I didn't know because I filled one up with water. 
because oh, I got no. these like so you little, found out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I got these little like misters. I'll have to show you for the party, and oh they're really gosh. cool. You have to put them in water, and they like create instead of like having a fog machine, they're just like little misters. Oh, fun! But I filled the pumpkin up with water, and like without even thinking, I just like took it out of the sink and like carried it across oh, the apartment. No. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Why am I so wet?" <laughs> It was just sprinkling out it was on you just the entire pouring time. Out the entire oh, no. time. Do so all of they, them have holes in them? Or yes. Just, okay. Yeah. Well, they all have a hole in the bottom, and I don't really understand why. I don't feel either. like they're a hazard. Right. I don't feel like children can fit those on their heads, but no. that's very knows? bizarre. Safety first. Yeah. <laughs> Safety first, I guess. I guess. You do have so many pumpkins, though, and I, I love them. But it just feels right. I'll, I'll fill them with candy or something. Yeah. Put some nice Anyways, candy out. Um, <laughs> we wanted to do something a little creepy, a little Halloweeny, and a little treat for you ghouls for All Hallows Eve. Yes. I know we said we were taking the month off, and we like basically are, but we thought we would have a little surprise episode for you. So enjoy. So back on. You're welcome. Uh, American Horror Story, hate it or love it. A lot of people hate it. I personally love it. I think it's damn good television. Samesies. Each season is a different genre of horror with all new characters and storylines, and they weave in and out of each other so that you get a character from one season showing up in another and seasons referencing other seasons. And within each season, whether it's about a haunted house, a circus full of freaks, or a coven of witches, the show adds in real-life horror stories throughout history. And today we're going to talk about some, and you do not have to be familiar with the show American Horror Story to listen to this episode because we're going to be talking about the real things that have happened and are referenced on the show. So you can still enjoy this episode without having seen a minute of American Horror Story. And that's the best part. You can just jump on in. Mm -hmm. You can also, I mean, technically you can jump into any season. So if you're like, ugh, I don't like, like Amy, for example, she tried to watch Murder House and she really didn't like it. I was like, cool, cool, cool. But watch Coven because I think you'll like it because it's one of the gayest seasons. It is. It's so fabulous. (laughs) So like for someone who doesn't particularly like horror, I think you could still really enjoy Coven. I think Coven is one of the easier ones to watch. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like easier is the best word. It's funny because it's like one of my word. least favorite yeah, seasons. Yeah, same. But I feel like but, it, it's more tame, mm-hmm. I guess. A little more fun yeah. than scary. So I think it's a good one. It's like Asylum, lot... you don't want to recommend to someone who no. doesn't like horror because it's disturbing, Bat gross, shit, horrifying. Crazy. Yes. Love it. It's my favorite season. I know. I love it so much. <laughs> it's my all-time favorite. So we're going to be focusing on seasons one through five, Murder House, Asylum, Coven, Freak Show, and Hotel. There are four additional seasons, Roanoke, Cult, Apocalypse, and 1984, but for the sake of time, we're going to be focusing on some OG seasons. That's right. What is your... Uh, of the four that we're not talking about today, so Roanoke, Cult, Apocalypse... 1984 barely counts because it's like still on. There's only like three episodes. What's your favorite out of those three? Oh my gosh. If I'm being None. honest, I haven't loved the newer ones. So, but if I had to pick, probably Roanoke. I thought Roanoke was cool. Yeah. Roanoke was cool. But again, like I think the first five seasons were very strong. And then I didn't really enjoy Cult. Roanoke was pretty good. I didn't finish Apocalypse. Not that it wasn't horrible, but I just, I kind of just gave up (laughs) just like it didn't keep my attention and then I still need to check out 1984 but it's still a little newer I feel like I did not like Apocalypse until like the fourth episode okay and then I was like oh shit because then it kind of like shifts you get out of the bunker and you're watching flashbacks and you're watching other people out it's it gets 
a lot better. I think I the need first to get couple to episodes, I was like, how are you making a whole season out of this? I am so bored. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I don't remember being like, I hate this. I was just sort of like, hmm. I don't have any interest in going on to the next maybe one day. I think Roanoke was really fun watching with a partner. I watched that season with Joe and we watched it like for the first time together. Uh And Roanoke was definitely a season where like you knew everyone was going to die. Right. You knew it was coming. So how and how and like in which order Mm -hmm. are they going to die? So we would like make bets of who would be the last to survive, who would die first. It was awesome. Do you think Roanoke's your favorite of Of the newer ones? Four? Probably. Okay. I ended up liking Colt. I hate again. I didn't like it at the beginning, and then I, I, I really got into it. See, I gave it the full chance. I watched the whole season. I still was like, mm. I also only watched it once, and I don't remember much okay. about it. I remember Evan Peters being fantastic, but he always. always is. Yeah, he can do no wrong. He really can't. Yeah, he's so good. He's so so good. And I liked Apocalypse, but all right, probably so- Roanoke. Basically, I need to continue on with Apocalypse Try and give it. it another chance. All right, all right, all right. Because um, did you make it to, this isn't a spoiler, this is pretty well known. Did you make it to the Coven crossover? Mm-mm. Okay, so basically it becomes another season of Coven. I do remember reading that online and I was like, when do I see things? Mm-hmm. And okay. it's not just like, they're in one episode, like they're in the whole second half of the season. Oh, good. Yeah, well, that's really fun. the witches of Coven. It's okay, amazing. then. All right, then I need okay. to hang in there. Before we get into it, we have to give you guys a reminder. There are still six more days left for our October giveaways on Facebook and Instagram. We have our 31 Days of Horror where we post a picture of a horror movie every day. And all you have to do is comment on the picture. You can comment and guess the movie. Some are hard. Some are super easy. You can tell us whether or not you've seen the movie. You can tell us whether or not you like the movie. Whatever you want. We just want to hear from you. Whoever's name pops up the most throughout our contest will get a prize. Obviously, if it's a tie, we'll have to draw a name out of a hat or something. And then we have our Keep It Weird costume contest. And all you have to do for that is send us a picture of your favorite Halloween costume that you've ever worn from any age. And at the end of the month, our panel of judges, myself, Lauren, Joe, and Wilder, will review the photos and pick a winner. Wilder's a harsh judge, so like He's, bring yes. it. You guys got to step it up. He's, He's getting real be fussy. <laughs> He's a fussy guy. He's, He's going to tell you if he and doesn't he, like, like it. And he like pretends to be sad. I know. He Which fakes new it now. Thing. I know it that is. video you posted. It's a new trick. Killed me. I know. It was so like, <laughs> like you're fine. It's like you're okay. Nothing is wrong with you. Right now. He's just like Gabby. Where it's like <laughs> Gabby. Every you've never had anything bad happen to you your whole life. <laughs> Gabby and Wilder are actually like the exact same. Very the similar. More I really I hope Wilder it. is a little bit more intelligent than Gabby. I has hope life so skills. Well. <laughs> hope so as well please know how to be a person um because she's very bad at being a cat so the prize for both of these contests you will win a free keep it weird t-shirt or tank or tote bag whatever you prefer and an original piece of artwork by yours truly i'm gonna paint any horror character that you want and it's a pretty sweet deal so follow us at keep it weird cast on instagram and facebook to participate do it. And thank you to everyone who's already submitted because oh the gosh. costumes have been we have got unreal. So many good costumes. They're so I'm, good. I'm obsessed. It makes me so happy about our listenership and the community that's formed from Keep It Weird because I'm like, these are our people. Yeah. It makes complete sense. They go all out for Halloween. Mm-hmm. They make their costumes. They make their I costumes. I really yes. appreciate it. Yeah. Everybody's been nailing it. Yeah. If you want to see the costumes actually on our Instagram, our very first, you know, how you can like save stories highlights. where those called highlights. Thank you. Our very first highlight is just like a collection of all the costumes that we've 
received so far, and they're all amazing. They are so good. We haven't gotten a single bad one yet. Nope. Oh, that's not true. Brett's was horrible. Oh, that was real bad. And you were very kind to still post it. It was like, this sucks. He like submitted it as a joke. He's had so many good costumes over the years. I've known Brett since I was 17 years old. He's had so many good costumes. And he posted a picture of him dressed as a Ninja Turtle. And, and it like, was like the, the worst way. Ninja it was like a green t-shirt, sort of a painted face. <laughs> like yeah. He looked and awful, but I jeans. did. I laughed real hard, though. It's so funny, I, I guess, yeah. but... Good submission, Brett. Yeah, great Thanks. job, Brett. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, let's go ahead. We're going to start with Murder House. Which oh gosh, was season I love this season one. so I much. Too. Like way to kick it off. With I know such a good it season. starts out with a bang. I loved it, and I love me some Connie Britton too. So oh. just all about it. Oh, P.S. <laughs> she makes an appearance in Apocalypse, so you should watch. <sighs> you guys, uh, okay, I've made a huge mistake, <laughs> and now have, I'm mortified that I was like, I didn't even. <laughs> Uh, this season is dark af, mm-hmm. as Lauren would say. The premise of the first season, this is kind of their haunted house storyline. And essentially, if you die in the house, your soul remains in the house. And a whole hell of a lot of people died in the house. Mm-hmm. So some of the spirits are out in the open and they interact with the living inhabitants of the house. And some of them choose to stay hidden. Some of them don't even know that they're dead. That would be the worst. That would be awful. I would hate it. So um, during our very first paranormal investigation, a.k.a. one of the funnest nights ever, mm-hmm. we stayed at the Millennium Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And this place is freaking enormous and beautiful, by the way. So if you ever get a chance to go, please do. Also, everyone who works there has a ghost story. So it's just a really cool haunted place. They're so fun to chat with. Like, <laughs> they, they want to tell you about it. But you if have you did, to. Yeah, yeah, if you, you did. You have to say, like, I'm interested. I'm interested. And then they'll me. be like, oh, okay. Well, then I have a story from two hours ago before <laughs> right. you come in. Uh, anyway, one of the reasons that we were there was to try and contact Elizabeth Short, otherwise known as the Black Dahlia. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. One of the craziest stories in history. Nuts. Like, craziest unsolved murder I've ever heard of. Right? Uh, if you want to know excruciating details of this story, I go into it in episode 13. But to sum it up, Elizabeth Short was an aspiring actress in Hollywood in the 1940s. She was called the Black Dahlia because she usually wore a large white dahlia in her dark black hair. Apparently, the owner of a drugstore in Long Beach told reporters that male customers had made up that name for her, which is why it took off in the media uh, when they were reporting on the crime, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. That makes sense. On January 15th, 1947, her mutilated body was found in a vacant lot. This was in Los Angeles. She was cut in half. She was completely drained of her blood. Her mouth was slit open all the way to her ears. Portions of her skin had been sliced away. Her corpse had been posed with her hands over her head. Her elbows bent and her legs were spread apart in a sexual way. And some other very horrific things happened to her. But if you want the full breakdown, head over to episode 13. It's uh, awful. It's so bad. In season one of American Horror Story, the Elizabeth uh, Short character is portrayed by Mina Suvari. Love Who's it. great. She's wonderful. She's a spirit that inhabits the house in Los Angeles, alluding to the fact that she died in the house, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because no one actually knows where Elizabeth Short died. She was obviously killed and her blood was drained at another location, but no one knows where because her murder has never been solved. In the show, her murderer was 
Dr. Charles Montgomery. Technically, her murderer was like some perverted dentist. There's a lot that happens. <laughs> but <laughs> Charles Montgomery was a surgeon to the stars until he became too addicted to ether and developed a Frankenstein complex. He would cut up animals and stitch their parts together to make like a different creature that was a thousand times more fucked up than it was already. Perfect. When he lost his job, he started performing under the table abortions for young Hollywood starlets and the mistresses of Hollywood producers. Anyway, he was not so but so, uh -huh. and he continued to perform weird experiments as a ghost in the house. Mm-hmm. And he ends up being the one who mutilates Elizabeth Short after she's accidentally killed in the house by that perverted dentist that I mentioned earlier. The worst dentist. Well, this was actually based on factual events as well. Mm -hmm. The main suspect in Elizabeth Short's murder was a man named Dr. George Hodel. And George was brought into the spotlight uh, once again in the 2003 book, The Black Dahlia Avenger, written by former homicide detective Stephen Hodel, a.k.a. George's own son. Literally, the first time I heard that, I was like, murder solved. Like, it's this <laughs> yeah. man. It His son wrote the him. book? His son wrote the book. Yeah, George uh, Hodel was a part of the affluent Los Angeles society back in the 1940s. He was obsessed with surrealism. He was interested in sadomasochism and was a big partier and womanizer. In fact, at one time, he was actually married to two women. Uh, the first was common law marriage, so like technically not okay. a marriage, but like they had been together Basically. for like 12 years. And uh, the next one was an official ceremony, and okay. they were actually married. And he lived with both of them at one time. Great. He also had many mistresses. Mm. Uh, he purchased a house known as the Soudan House in 1945 and lived there until 1950. The property was built in 1926 by Lloyd Wright, who's the son of Frank Lloyd Wright and is now a Los Angeles historic landmark, oh. which is kind of, I mean, the the um, house, the murder house from American Horror Story is an actual like property in Los Angeles right. is an actual yeah, house. You can go drive by it, check it out. But there's no like recorded hauntings there. I believe that like the actual like house is based off of this place that George Hodel. Okay, that would make bought. sense. Yeah. yeah. George Hodel was a suspect in Elizabeth Short's murder initially because A, supposedly, according to witnesses, she was one of his mistresses at one point. Mm. B, he had also been a suspect in the death of his secretary two years prior, who they believe he murdered to cover up his financial fraud. Uh, basically, he was billing patients for tests that he never performed and protecting various secrets he had obtained about police and politicians for from clients for his illegal abortion services. There it is. Yeah. He was also a suspect of a 1949 murder of a woman named Louise Springer. Uh, this woman worked at a beauty salon who was picked up. Uh, she was picked up by her husband in their car from the beauty shop she worked at. She got in the car and she said she forgot her glasses inside and her husband offered to go in and grab them for her. And she stayed in the car and was never seen alive again. So the car was found three days later, and she was in the back seat under a tarp with a 14-inch stick shoved into her vagina. What? Yeah. And evidence showed that she had been dead before her car even left the parking lot. Whoa. Like he killed her in the car and then drove off. And, then and drove. Then mutilated her body and left her in the oh car. Oh, my gosh. Uh Oh, that's horrific. The parking lot where she was abducted was a block away from where Elizabeth Short had been found. 
well. So Interesting. And finally, C, George Hodel, was a surgeon. And Elizabeth Short's body was cut in half perfectly by a technique taught in the 1930s called <clears throat> hemicorporectomy. Perfect. Probably, probably perfect. She had been cut in half by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, and there was very little bruising along the incision line. The coroner, as well as the police, theorized that she must have been killed by someone with medical knowledge, like a doctor or a surgeon. Hmm. And Stephen Hodell didn't really know that his father was a suspect in this murder until after he passed away. Stephen Hodell was like going through his father's stuff. And found some like documents that he was kind of confused about. And he found a photograph of a woman who looked in like a, I don't know if it was like a sex picture. I don't think she was nude, but it was definitely like in lingerie. And she looked like Elizabeth Short. Hmm. And he basically was like, holy shit, that looks yeah. like the Black Dolly. Like, right. Black Dolly's a famous murder. Like people yeah. know her face when they see it. And then he started investigating it, found out his dad was like a major suspect, like the suspect yes. in a crime. A uh, lot of signs point thing, to his yeah. death. So yeah, many. if you read his book, it's like, oh, well, this is obviously the guy that that's killed Elizabeth saying. Short. Like, there's no question. Like, done. But the problem with Steve Hodell is that that's not the only book he wrote. He wrote that book about the Black Dahlia case. And then years later, he wrote a book claiming that his father was also the Zodiac Killer. Okay, well, which, he lost me then. Yeah, like as you're reading it, you're like, nope, nope. nope he went off with the, the rails. First one. Come yeah. on. And then he, he wrote another us. book claiming he thinks his dad was a serial killer that was active in the 30s or 20s. I don't remember. 20s or 30s in Chicago. And it's just like, his dad didn't even live in Chicago. Like, I, he really went place? off no. the rails. Like, we would have trusted you if you had just stuck yeah. with the Black Dahlia. But now he sounds like a kook. A kook, exactly. So, yeah, Goodness. so that was the, um, I know, you know, the Black Dahlia is definitely something that you see it pop up in American Horror Story and you're like, oh, Black Dahlia, cool. Yes. But like the house itself and the surgeon that probably killed her, mm -hmm. like that's all very uh, rarely known. Yeah, those are more like fun little facts to yeah. uncover, which I like. <laughs> I... Yeah, I never, I don't think I ever made the connection of like the crazy dentist and like how that was sort of a nod. Yeah. Another way. I like that. I'm into it. You're also doing a murder from the murder house. I am. And this guy sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> listeners, I don't know if you guys have heard of Richard Speck. Um, so he was... He actually had a pretty normal childhood. I'm not going to super go into his whole upbringing and everything. I'm going to sort of do a summary of this. But Richard Speck is one of those murderers that didn't necessarily have the, you know, the child abuse and yeah. the horrible life growing up. Like he had a semi-normal life. But as he got older, he just decided to rebel and was like doing little robberies here and there. Like burglary was kind of his main thing. Um, he was in and out of jail a couple of times. Um, in 1965, he was finally on parole, but then he attacked a woman in a parking lot trying to rob her. The woman was able to flee and get away. Um, he was apprehended again, brought into jail. So he was just in and out all right. the time. He was never, no one ever really thought murder was his game. It was always like, I'm going to mug you and just scare the shit out of you. That was kind of his thing. He wasn't a good dude. 
Um, definitely a womanizer, did not respect women, just wanted to like get with everybody that he could. He sort of had a thing for nurses. Um, I don't know if it was the career itself or if it was just total coincidence, but he dated a few different nurses, um, which then led him to go visit a friend in Chicago who lived in an area where some of the nurses dorms were. And that's where this story kind of jumps in. So the second episode of Murder House season one is where we first see serial killer Richard Speck or the nod to Richard Speck. It's showing a flashback related to why we've been seeing nurses throughout the house because there are some of the little spooks going around. So the sequence in the show, I believe, is showing a guy conning his way into a house full of female roommates and then brutally murdering a nurse and a nursing student inside. So Richard Speck in 1966 broke into a Chicago townhouse where nine nursing students were staying. Ugh, these poor women. Um, he tied them all up with torn bed sheets. And this is why people are kind of confused by the murder because, like I said, burglary was more his thing. And the witness, which I'll get to in just a minute, said that for a long time he just left all the girls tied up and it seemed like he was looking for something in particular, just right. maybe any kind of goods he could get out of the house. But he may have not gone into this dormitory wanting to murder originally, but he had all the girls tied up. But then eventually, very sadly, he led eight of the women into separate rooms in the house. And one by one, he stabbed, strangled and raped them until they died. Um, And the ninth nurse, a young woman forgot about her. Yeah, she was hiding under a bed. And I think he just like maybe didn't do the full count. I think he just lost track of like, where's number nine? She'd been hiding under a bed, just watching all of this happen which would be so horrifying and traumatizing. Her name was Corazon Amorau, Amoruau, um, and she survived. And her testimony is what convicted Speck. But she was watching all these women be led away. And he only had a knife. So he was just like brutally stabbing these women and strangling some of them. Um, but then she had remembered that he had a tattoo on his arms that said born to raise hell. So again, he got caught a couple of days later I think it was drunk and disorderly conduct or some like little petty thing. He got pulled in and then he became a suspect for this murder because he was in the area. Corazon came in and said, that's the born to raise hell tattoo that I saw. I will never forget it. I was watching everything from under the bed. So she was able to finger him and he was arrested, convicted, died in prison in 1991. But he's a horrible, horrible person. He's a horrible person. And you can catch more of Richard Speck on season two of Mindhunter. Was it season two? Or season one. Yeah, it was the newest one. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a piece of shit. And like I said, I didn't go into his whole life story because, to be honest, I didn't think he was as fascinating as some of the other serial killers that we talk about. I'm sort of like, what's your deal, dude? Why are you the worst? Yeah. When I read about Richard Speck, I kind of felt like, I think that he sort of started getting a thrill when he would try and rob from women and they would like flee. Yeah. I think he started getting a thrill from that. Like their fear, like the scare, like that they were scared of him. And then, you know, like you said, you, that he dated a couple nurses. Mm -hmm. So he has like a sexual connection to nurses and like nurses uniforms. Cause especially back then they had like the very classic, like white short little dress. Yeah. The short little dress and the little nurse's hat. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? And um, I think that you're right. I don't think that he went in there with the intention to murder. Like I'm going to murder every woman in this house. And I think that, yeah, it's it's almost like he's not really a serial killer as much as he's like a mass killer. Yeah, because it wasn't sure. like I killed a person, then like a year later I killed, I killed another, another person. You're right. It was like it all happened at once, and it was like a frenzy, mm-hmm. um, which is 
weird. What happened to him in American Horror Story? I don't remember. I know. I was trying to he, remember. He like, came in and he killed two he nurses. He killed two. Yeah. And then I don't remember where he went after. Like, did he just run out or we saw more of I him, I don't right? remember. I, because. I just um, remember the murders The reason being that horrific. you see that flashback is one, to explain why there's go- nurse ghosts wandering around the house. <laughs> but also, um, the, the three killers come the, like, in current day mm-hmm. and they want to recreate the murders. Right. They were, like, obsessed with the murders the and they want to sort of like recreate what happened that night. I know. I'm not remembering. I haven't watched Murder House in so long. I don't remember exactly what happened to him. I just remember the murders being so brutal with the nurses and being like, oh, this season's going to be effed up. <laughs> really effed up. But yeah. Really? That's what I told you? Left. It wasn't the like weird leather suit rape in the first Yeah, episode. the impregnating <laughs> that happened from a leather person? No, that was fine. No, that That's was okay. normal. It was totally the, fine. like frenzied murder. <laughs> yeah, to kill eight women in one night. I'm, I'm going nuts. back to the real Richard Speck. I just cannot get over it. And again, like what Especially we're saying, that he just like went crazy. Yeah, he just went on this huge spree. Thank God that woman was hiding under the bed. I mean, she could never be okay again after watching that. But smart move to hide from him because he clearly wasn't. That's another full reason control. it made me think it was like a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't in control because he like how do you leave one right like leave a witness if you knew what you were especially doing especially when like organized no one's called the cops right yeah mm-hmm. you would have a plan and he obviously right. did not not at all so anyways watch murder house it's <laughs> real messed up it is real messed up there i couple... love it though thought it was really good are there any more in murder i'm sure there are more there's killers? Um, more like or just um, real life real life things uh columbine is oh, depicted yeah, the in Murder House. With Evan Peters. Yeah, right? Evan yeah. Peters. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. Sorry. Yes. There's a like, about that. Columbine situation. And actually, this is kind of weird, and I didn't notice because why would I? But apparently, um, I think it's... Uh, so the show is uh, created by Brad Falchuk and Ryan Murphy. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I think it's Brad Falchuk, actually. It was a huge Boston Red Sox fan. Mm. So all of the students are named after boston red sox players no way yeah that's so funny which like has nothing Why? to do with anything yeah, it was just his it was just detail. his little he like wanted it there. i like this oh my gosh that's so funny. yeah i read that uh recently and i was like holy shit i should tell joe and then i forgot but i'll remember now <laughs> joe just listen to this episode <laughs> joe, you'll hear. joe maybe if you just listen like you'll know also shout out to brad and ryan that they can do every type of tv show Truly. they're doing american horror story they did glee which mm-hmm. you hear those two shows and, and you're, you're like, like who <laughs> why and then the politician oh the politician so good but they also do pose yes oh my gosh american I crime story uh I haven't watched season that. two i don't think they did season one did they i don't know i haven't that was the oj simpson trial yes okay then i did watch that um, that was not them then well season two think. was i believe because season two was did they do the one Versace. that had? Yes, I loved that. I yeah. watched it in a day. I thought they it was so good. Darren well. Chris was everything. I truly like. I can't fathom how they make so much t- television. 
Me either. And how it's all so different. I mean, they're all kind of shot in similar ways mm-hmm. and they're always very colorful. Very and, dramatic. Yes. So dramatic. <laughs> but then, yeah, the content is so different. And I yeah. just applaud them for the content, doing so, every but type. Just like time constraint wise. And yes. I understand like they're the creators of the show. So they might not. They, they probably don't direct every single episode. They right. probably direct, you know, the pilot and totally. the, you know, like David Fincher with Mindhunter. He's mm-hmm. like, I direct four of the episodes right. and the rest are directed by people yes. that I know and trust. Um, but sure it's still so like every input. when the poli- we were just watching Asylum and then the politician got added to Netflix and it was like created by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk and it was like do you sleep what do, do you, you sleep do all day I don't understand how they fit everything in no. like there's no way <laughs> it's not possible I don't understand but they're brilliant and they're wonderful they are I am a big fan um, so let's move on to Asylum my favorite season Love of Asylum. American Horror Story um, it's definitely a polarizing season which I totally understand uh, because this season throws everything in the kitchen sink in. Mm-hmm. There's aliens, serial killers, demonic possession, sadistic nuns, killer Santa Claus, and Frank, the angel of death. Like, you name it, it's this season has it. Yes. And um, for me, the fact that they were able to tie all of that stuff in and tell a super compelling story, right. like, mm. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Because like, all of those things sound so separate and they weave them together they weave them somehow. Together and it works. Totally and, works. I mean, there's like, uh, it basically, it takes place um, in an asylum Briar called Briarcliff in the 1960s. And um, it, I, I can't say enough good things about this season. It does to the, I feel like I noticed it the first time I watched it through. Joe definitely noticed it. It's one of those things where like, three-fourths of the way through you're like jesus christ like it's enough mm-hmm. and then the last couple episodes how they like tie it all in together it's like oh this is brilliant yep. this is absolute it's genius so smart yeah it's really wonderful it's really oh i want to watch it again i, I know i think I it. i've seen that one the most which is the only reason i'm like oh i've seen this season so many times but i love it it's really good so continuing with my doctor theme. Hey, Doc, <laughs> let's do it. This one's going to get actually even more dark than the last. I'm so sorry. But I wanted to talk about the character Dr. Arthur Arden, Oof. played by the guy from Babe. What's his name? That tall old man. The tall That's old man That's all I from got Babe. for you. Yep. We all know who you're talking about. Quick Everyone Google. knows, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do a quick do- Google. Babe. <laughs> it's going to bring it up faster. <laughs> Um, babe. Yeah, James Cromwell. Yes. James Cromwell plays Dr. Arthur Arden. Um, and the asylum is mostly ran by nuns and priests and the like because it was the 60s and no one really understood mental health. But they did have one doctor on staff and no psychiatrists, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> we were very dumb then. Um, and his name was Dr. Arden. And he was the physician and the administrator of the hospital. And it's revealed in the show that Dr. Arden wasn't just treating the patients at Briarcliff with electroshock therapy, hydrotherapy, and of course, lobotomies, Mm -hmm. 60s again, but that he was also performing experiments on the patients held there who would perform horrible surgeries without anesthetic because it supposedly, quote, interfered with his readings. His ultimate goal was to make a new evolution in human life, hopefully leading to complete immunity and immortality. But all he succeeded in doing was creating zombie-like monsters that roam the woods behind the asylum. It's also revealed in the show that Arthur Arden was actually Hans Gruper, Mm. a Nazi doctor 
who once performed these torturous experiments on Jews during the Holocaust before he fled to the United States in the 1950s. And then your jaw just hits the floor. And then you go, what? What? I mean, like, all the signs were there. Yeah. (laughs) Were we really surprised? (laughs) Did you think he was the good guy? The character himself was modeled after a man named Joseph Mengele, who was also known as the Angel of Death. He was an SS officer and a physician in Auschwitz during World War II. He performed deadly human experiments on prisoners and was a member of the team of doctors who selected the victims to be killed in the gas chambers. He was a bad dude. Before the war, Mengele received his doctorates in anthropology and medicine, and he began his career as a researcher. He joined the Nazi party in 1937 and the SS in 1938. He was a medical officer at first, but then he was transferred to the concentration camps and assigned to Auschwitz, where he saw the opportunity to conduct genetic research on human subjects. Uh, You know, people that no one cared about and Mm -hmm. no one was going to check up on. Right. And didn't really care what was happening to them. Totally. So horrible. So sad. Most of his experiments were performed on twins. That's what he's the most famous for. Okay. But he also favored people with like two different colored eyes, Mm -hmm. dwarves, and people with physical abnormalities. Okay. With twins especially, he would do horrible things. He would do things like amputate limbs unnecessarily, um, intentionally infect one twin with typhus or some disease. Uh, Then he would transfuse the blood of that twin into the other. Shit like that. Oh, that's so disgusting and horrible. Mm, Yeah. I cannot believe this guy's real. Oh, yeah. He's a (laughs) monster. Most of them died during the procedures. Almost all of them were sent to their deaths when he was done with them so he could dissect them um, afterwards to see. It was all just an experiment as if they were not Literally, a human being. It's they so, were. I mean, like, I know, just need to see my results. It's that's fine. how the Nazis viewed Jews. I mean, yeah. It's it, they just 100%. weren't human. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for They're them to just it. like do whatever. <sighs> one night, he killed 14 twins in the same night. In one night. 14? Yeah. He injected their hearts with chloroform. Like, just because, just to see what would happen. Oh, my goodness. If one twin would die from a disease, he would kill the other twin to compare their autopsies. Like, just (sighs) because. One witness described how once he sewed two twins together back to back in an attempt to make conjoined twins. And both of them died of gangrene after several days of suffering being sewn together. Right. Of course they did. Yeah. Who do this you think like you are? This is like some human centipede shit. That is unreal. Well, after the war, he fled to Argentina, assisted by a network of former SS members. He lived throughout Argentina, Buenos Aires, Paraguay, and Brazil for the rest of his life as he was being chased by Nazi hunters who wanted to bring him to trial for his crimes. He was like one of the number one guys that they wanted to catch because he was so sick. But he actually died of natural causes. He lived until 1979 when he drowned uh, while he was having a stroke while swimming off the Brazilian coast. Jeez. Oh, Were people still after him? People when he were still died? after okay. him. Yeah. They had to have an autopsy to make sure like this is the actual guy so they right. could finally move on with their lives. Ugh. But also when it comes to the Nazi scientists being brought to the U.S. and given new names... Uh, that was also true. We did that. Great. It was called Operation Paperclip, and it was a secret program of the Joint Intelligent Objectives Agency, which was a part of the Counterintelligence Corps, 
which was a World War II and Cold War intelligence agency within the United States Army. This was us. Uh, that consisted of highly trained special agents. 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were taken from Germany to America for U.S. government employment. Mm. Good Many job. of them were former members and some even former leaders of the Nazi party. I hate Because the thing is, is like, we actually, we got some good people in this, in Operation yes. pa- Paperclip. We got some like, genuinely like i think people can like look at germany uh, you know nazi germany and and immediately say like they were all bad Mm -hmm. because of what happened there but like i mean just look at the the shit that happens today it's like they're not all bad yeah you can't say that an entire country is horrible. no because you know they also were being terrorized every day 100 they also had everything to lose like if they did not follow orders they would have been murdered their families would have been murdered right. they were doing what they thought they had to do yeah. these were good people who were fearing for their lives mm-hmm. and just going and you with have it. to think of all the propaganda that was sent out yeah. like a lot of them like truly honest to god did not know what was happening right like they could have been like that's a shame we shouldn't you know we shouldn't round up these people and take them to these hospitals or these mm-hmm. prisons but like they didn't, they didn't know, know what that was they actually were happening cut up and sewn together and killed in mass you know right. what i mean it's so true. So we did get some good scientists, but we also got some fucking Nazis. Cool. <laughs> um, many were former members and leaders of the Nazi party, like I said. Basically, we wanted U.S. military advantage in the Soviet-American Cold War and in the space race. A lot of them went and worked with NASA. Okay. The Soviet Union also recruited Germans over 2,200 of them. Yeah. President Truman claimed later that, quote, this had to be done and was done due to our relations with Russia being very tense at the time. Hmm. Only one paperclip scientist was found guilty of any crime. He was returned to Germany in 1947 to stand trial, but he was acquitted. Come on. He wasn't even punished. Most of them instead got away with it. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, most of them instead won major awards, uh, like the NASA Distinguished Service Medal, the Department of Defense Distinguished Civilian Service Award, and the Goddard Astronautics Award. Two of them are in the International Space Hall of Fame, but at least we won the Cold War and the race to space. Yay! Let's cheer! <laughs> hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! Uh, sometimes the true story is actually worse than the fictional yep. In one. that case, it sure is. Yes. Hated it. Also, Arthur Arden yes. appears again in Freak Show. Do you remember? No. Uh, Elsa, the um, yeah. back when she was in Germany, before she moved to Florida and like right. joined the Freak Show, she was basically like a prostitute. And it and shows Arthur him. Arden, yeah, he's the one that cut her legs off. I don't think I remember that yeah. at all. I, or maybe I was just like, oh, there he is. Like not even thinking that it was the same character. Also, James Cromwell's son played the younger version of himself in American Horror Story uh, Asylum, which is Cute. why he looks so much like him. It's like, oh, they're perfect at casting. It was no, the it was his son. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> what are you covering? Um, I'm talking about something that we have talked about already, but it was a long time ago. So just tune in. Betty and Barney uh. Hill. From the asylum. loves of my life. I know their story is so amazing. And again, because we've talked about it before, we're not going to do like the deepest of dives. But guys, go back to Aliens Part 2 if you want to hear Ashley's whole tale on it. 
But uh, season two of Asylum, there are two characters named Kit and Alma Walker. They're an interracial couple who have an alien encounter. Um, Again, Evan Peters plays the white man of that couple. (laughs) Just to, you know, let you know what's going on. Um, He's phenomenal. And because of what they experience with, like, the abduction and the alien experience, he has to go to Briarcliff, the asylum. So that's his connection of, like, he's trying to recover and understand what's Mm -hmm. happening. So... He was also framed for yes, murder. Yes, and it made it look like he murdered his wife when he did it, but you just have to watch. Okay, so <laughs> Kit and Alma are based on real-life interracial couple Betty and Barney Hill. They had an insane encounter with some, most likely, I guess we have to say, like, probably right. <laughs> aliens. And this was one of the first highly publicized alien abduction yeah. stories. It's amazing. And it spurred on a lot more alien investigations and UFOs, so... That's awesome also. Um, So the Hills were a couple, just like Kit and Alma on the show, who claimed they had an experience back in September of 1961. So this couple was driving home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, after a vacation in Canada and Montreal. And as they were driving down this road at night, it was really late at night because they were just trying to drive through the night and get home. They're like, we're getting home at 2 a.m., but it's fine. Let's just do it. So they see some lights appear in the sky. Um... Not just a normal aircraft. The lights looked a little strange. Betty originally thought it was a falling star, but then it started going up. It originally was going down and then started to go back up. So she said, well, never seen a falling star do that. (laughs) And Barney thought maybe it is some sort of aircraft, but he was actually a veteran and had flown aircrafts before or had a lot of experience with them. So he was sort of like, no, (laughs) I've never seen an aircraft move the way that is. So they were confused by it, but just kind of tried to carry on. However, these lights got closer and closer to them and started making super erratic movements in the sky, looking very strange and getting close again, closer and closer to them as if it was following them. So they finally pull over to a rest stop picnic type area. They get out, they get their binoculars to check it out. And Barney is able to see with a better look that it's a huge, huge rotating disc shaped object. And again, still getting closer and closer. He says it probably was about 100 feet above them. Think of how close that is. That is so close. Like you can feel the wind from it. it gets above them and he's able to see up in the windows. He thinks he sees tall, gray, humanoid type creatures that are wearing black suits. And yeah, one of them. Don't forget, they have their binoculars. Yeah. So he They're can see like details. Yeah. yeah. So he thinks he's seeing these humanoid type creatures in there. And one of them he even thinks is trying to call to him and signal to him. So he freaks the fuck out as you would if you saw that. So he runs back to the car. Betty was waiting in the car while he was watching this. He gets in. He's like, this is not okay. We're going to go. So he gets back on the road. It continues to follow them. Um, And then the last thing they both remember is that the craft was getting closer and closer to them. The car, the entire car starts buzzing. Their bodies start tingling. Sorry. Something got caught in my tooth. <laughs> their bodies start tickling and they get incredibly drowsy and then they say everything just went dark and then the craziest thing is they wake up what they think is about two hours later and they're still driving they're on the road and barney's like who hello where he's still driving the car they think they'd gone about 35 additional miles and they have no memory of it but they were still driving home they don't know what happened. Their watches had both stopped, which we've talked about that before. It's like, telltale sign. There's probably some alien activity. <laughs> both of their watches Everybody stopped. Knows. We all know. 
Both of their watches stopped and never worked again after this night. Um, Both of their shoes were scraped up. Their clothes were torn and dirty. And they just had no idea what happened. So wild. They get home. They're still trying to piece things together. But then (laughs) Betty starts having terrible nightmares um, after this experience and starts to get weird impulses where just one example is I think she wanted to put her luggage by the back door or something. Like she just... Things in the house had to be set in a certain way that she'd never needed them before. And they would sort of get groggy memories of things, but just could not fully piece anything together. So they Didn't started. Did they have a weird thing with like their genitals? Yes, they both, they both felt as if something had happened, but like they, they didn't were know violated. why. Yeah. yeah, like something is different there, but I can't tell you why. But I mm-hmm. feel like someone touched us in a bad way down there. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they just had these feelings, these gut feelings, and they both really thought it had to be some sort of alien activity. There was just no other right. explanation. So they started reading up on it. Well, and you have to remember, this was, what year was this? 1966. Exactly. Right? So, like, there's no. not a ton. 61. 61. There's not a ton of alien abduction uh, cinema Mm-mm. to review. Nope. <laughs> you exactly. Know what I mean? Like, these, so, this. It wasn't out there yet. No, the, we hadn't, we had no signs. We had no, you know, War of the Worlds was a book. Right. Yeah. No abductions took place in. So, like, you have to kind of look at, like, what was available to them at Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. Which was pretty much, there were some books on UFOs. And so they both went to the library and tried to read about that. They tried to reach out to different scientists and astronomers and people they thought would maybe know what was going on. But, of course, they were dismissed because people are just like, who are you? What are you talking about? Um, It wasn't until... Years later, when they went to hypnosis therapy, a therapist was able to kind of put them under and have them reveal some deep memories that they weren't able to recover before. And then both of them start spouting things out that were very similar to the crazy dreams Betty was having, which is that their genitals, they both, it wasn't a super clear memory, but they both remember something being set over their genital areas if someone was like trying to gather something from their genitals and like get information by like probing them probably um so something bad was happening down south and they remember these humanoid um creatures like laying them down on tables they heard them speaking some sort of language i want to say that betty heard english but barney did not or something along those lines but they would hear the humanoid creatures talking to each other leaving the room coming back in staring at them studying them and then they remember just being returned to their car. But um, it was only through hypnosis that these memories started to come out. So the therapist, I believe, was still a little like, it was just your dream. You're having crazy dreams. Right. And Barney heard about your dreams. So he's talking about him, too. The therapist, again, kind of dismissed them. However, somehow a news outlet was able to get a hold of their story. Maybe they reached out to someone, honestly. And once the news outlet started to gain the story then it got publicized everywhere and everyone wanted to talk to them their story became very famous then scientists were a little more like all right i'll talk to you like now we're getting into something so um then i feel like after this alien abduction and ufo investigations took off from here because then people were like okay this is in the public eye this is something we're talking about this story is insane maybe there's more people around the world who've had this experience and as years went on more people did and they were able to be like what did you see was yours like this did this happen did you lose time did your watch stop so this was like the beginning this is what shot everything off and it became super famous they became incredibly famous um there's a 
book called The Interrupted Journey, and also a 1975 TV movie called The UFO Incident with James Earl Jones. Oh my God. Hey. Uh, did you know about that? <laughs> I did, did not know that was a thing. I didn't need it. No, I didn't I know about James that. I love James Earl Jones. Me too. I want to go watch Mufasa. it. Mufasa. Mufasa. And Darth Vader. Oh. <laughs> That's the important one. <laughs> um, no, Mufasa is actually more important. But yeah, so there's this book and this movie that you can go watch if you want to see more of their tale, but... I don't know any other explanation for this other than an alien abduction, especially because, like you said, this was the first of its kind. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just say, oh, well, that movie last week, this is what happened with the aliens. Right. They were these tall gray creatures. Like, they came up with that. And I don't know. It just seemed too insane to be made up. But. Yeah. And something that I've brought up every time we talk about Barney and Betty Hill they were an interracial couple in 1961. Mm-hmm. They were not the people that would bring to attention the to themselves. Yeah. And when you say like they became famous, they didn't become good famous. No. They didn't get swag back. They're not social media they influencers. Didn't get, <laughs> no. Like they became famous as in everyone knew their name. Everyone knew their business. Everyone mm-hmm. was calling them liars. People were judging them. Yeah, exactly. So like. You know, you look at people that come out today and say, I had this experience and, you know, you're already inviting horrific scrutiny into your life and like people just being assholes to you. But like in 1961? Yeah. As an interracial couple? They did not want to be in the public eye, but they desperately wanted answers. So they were like, well, we're going to keep talking about this because someone needs to help us. Someone needs to tell me what's going on. I have PTSD and no one can explain why. And that's why I like how um, American Horror Story did this in Asylum, because it does touch on their race and how that Mm -hmm. totally played a factor and how they're trying to kind of lay low in the political climate. And I liked that that was also a part of it, because, of course, that would be insane. And you're going through enough already as being an interracial couple and then throw some aliens in. Throw some aliens in there. Life gets wild. (laughs) Life gets wild when you add an alien. Life gets wild when you add an extraterrestrial. Listen, we talk about technology a lot on this show and how far we've come even just in our short time on this earth. But nothing blows me away more than the ability to have whatever I want delivered to me at my doorstep with just a few clicks of the mouse. Like, I can have amazing products wrapped up in a cute little box without getting up off my couch. What? Mm Mm-hmm. And you all know how scared we are of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. But... We are willing to make an exception for our new sponsors, FabFitFun. For years, we've been saying no to sponsors because we're not going to promote someone we don't use. Who needs that many stamps? Exactly. But FabFitFun is freaking awesome, and I'm already pumped for my winter box. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box, and the 2019 fall box is on sale now. We literally get over $200 worth of presents delivered to our door for just $49.99. One of my favorite items is the hair repair mask because it makes my hair feel amazing and soft. Can I be totally honest and say that I like the cheese board and the salt and pepper grinder because I'm obsessed with food? Or is that, I mean, I also like the hair repair mask. Yeah, and the lotion. Lotion's good too. But but cheese board. But cheese. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the coolest part about FabFitFun is the fact that they send you full-size items instead of just samples. Yes. I love that. I do, too. Members also gain access to members-only flash sales, which are like add-ons to your boxes, so you can get more presents! 
Yes. You can go over to FabFitFun.com to browse all their products and also learn more about the company themselves. Mm -hmm. FabFitFun still has some fall boxes left. All of their boxes are $49.99. And some of the products in the box are even more expensive than that, which is bonkers. You can even use our coupon code WEIRD to get $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. That's W-E-I-R-D at www.fabfitfun.com. Don't miss out. Treat yourself. Take advantage of our future robot overlords while you still can. It's All a right, crazy let's keep story. it moving. Um, Coven. Mm-hmm. As far as I can remember, Coven doesn't have a ton of Easter eggs like these um, and like the other seasons. And maybe it's because their major characters are real historical figures, like mm-hmm. names and all. Right. Um, I'm not sure. Or it could be that I simply don't remember because I've only seen the season once. Same. I do. So, I agree with the statement you just made is everyone is their actual name. Whereas yeah. before this, we've been like, this character is based on based this, on this one, and, based and they on just that. straight up say like, this is Lala nope. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, Marie Laveau, who yes. I'm going to talk about. Hey. Um, I did want to touch uh, touch on Marie Laveau because I just think she's the coolest. She and she's is. often very misrepresented as a dark or evil voodoo queen. Marie Laveau was a real person. She was a Louisiana Creole practitioner of voodoo in the, ni- in the 1800s. And she was basically famous in New Orleans and is still renowned to this day. In the series, she's played by Angela Bassett. Uh, the, the woman who never ages. Perfect. <laughs> she's amazing. So Angela that. Bassett. Um, and she does a fucking killer job. It's amazing. She sure does. When does she not? I so know. Marie Laveau kind of became like a deity. So it's hard to determine what parts of her life are fact and what has been sort of enhanced by the legends around her. There's so much urban legend. Yeah. But according to historical records, it does seem like she was born. She was born a free woman in the Mm -hmm. French Quarter on September 10th, 1801. She has the same birthday as my dad. Oh, my God. Only he was in 1950. Just a little later, you know. (laughs) (laughs) She has uh, her mother was Marguerite Henry, also a free woman who was of Native American, African, and French descent. Her father was Charles Laveau Trudeau, and he was actually mayor of New Orleans in 1812. Get it. Which is nuts. He was obviously, he was white, obviously. There you go. Her grandmother, Catherine, purchased her own freedom in 1795, and she had been a voodoo priestess herself. Hmm. And records show that she arrived in Louisiana in the 1700s from Senegal. Okay. So Marie Laveau was born in a super bigoted and misogynistic period, which would is probably why we all believe today that she was like dark, manipulative, conniving, corrupt, that she mm-hmm. cursed people. Right. You know what I mean? But in reality, she was actually known as one of the most loving people in history. Mm. Marie. Most loving women in history. And she fought tooth and nail to help protect her people um, during a horrible time in American history. Mm. Her people being... Black people mm-hmm. and women. Yep. She was a healer, a community leader, and she was a spiritual guide. She learned her voodoo skills from her mother and her grandmother, but she was actually raised a devout Catholic. Oh. Yeah. And would often encourage others into that faith. Because voodoo twist. is not something that you necessarily like. I want to learn voodoo and be a voodoo priestess. It's right. sort of it's it's 
sort of like being Jewish. Mm-hmm. You're born Jewish. Right. <laughs> and like you, your grandmother was Jewish and your uh-huh. great grandmother was Jewish. Uh, so she would encourage people to become Catholic. Okay. Um, and she also volunteered with the Catholic Church throughout her whole life, including tending for and praying over yellow fever victims with the church. She was very involved. She's a wonderful lady. She's great. She was officially the third queen of New Orleans voodoo. And New Orleans voodoo is a little bit different because it actually is a combination of like French Creole uh, voodoo and Catholicism. Okay. Um, she did mostly root work, the purpose of which is to protect and save people. It's medicinal. It's medicine for the mind, body, and the spirit. She was just always trying She's to protect great. and heal. One of the reasons she was discriminated against was her public ceremonies. She held these Congo Square meetings in what is today Louis Armstrong Park, where freedom, uh, freeborn people of color and slaves were all allowed to gather on Sundays to celebrate together have markets for freedom, and simply socialize together. As it should so be. So the white devils <laughs> were not super thrilled. They weren't loving it. With that. Wanted to end um, the fun. But that did not stop them from white people from all social ranks, including the incredibly wealthy, to come to her for help and guidance. She kind of, of course. served everyone. She was a midwife, so it's almost certain that she also helped with abortions at the time which some people know her for that, for being like sort of, you know, a, a voodoo doctor who would like help women with abortions. Mm-hmm. And that's automatically so she immediately evil got to controversial, a lot of yeah. But most women at that time that had nursing skills assisted in abortions. Yeah. Like that's just. It's just what happened. What happened. Mm-hmm. Marie Laveau married her first husband, Jacques Perry, in 1819 at the St. Louis Cathedral, where she's now buried. He was, uh, she's in the St. Louis Cemetery, not the cathedral, but, you know, yes. they're attached. He was a French immigrant who was a carpenter, and they had two daughters before they got married. Her two daughters vanished mysteriously from all records after 1820. Like, there's what? no record of them after that, I've but there's no record that. of their death. There's record of their birth, though. Like, they yeah, definitely they existed. they definitely existed, <laughs> okay. but then, like, and then no one knows. But Jacques also disappeared, and he was presumed dead in 1820. So they kind of like all records of them disappeared too. Wow. So that also adds to like the Marie Laveau voodoo queen. Her husband and her daughters disappear. Like Like she must have killed them. them. Yeah. Probably not. But maybe. It was at this point Marie Laveau, just like in American Horror Story, became a hairdresser from the more affluent people in New Orleans. And it was there that she developed a really large social network with not only her clientele, but with their slaves and servants. Mm -hmm. And she learned a lot of secrets, and she was very manipulative, but it wasn't insidious. It was always, like, in order to protect her people. Right. Like, she would literally bargain and, like, learn secrets about these people and, like, use it against them for better treatment of their servants and slaves. Yeah, I do remember that part of the story. I loved it because she would be able to (laughs) sort of act like she was, like, reading into their life. But really, she had just heard all the secrets and was like, I can see that you're doing this, which I love. I'm like, get it, girl. It's amazing. She remarried, and records show that her and her new husband had seven children, but it's actually rumored they had as many as 15 um, how? That's a lot of that's, babies. That's a lot of kids. Speaking as the woman in the room that's had a baby, how does that make you feel? 
um, I sort of want to cry and staple my <laughs> vagina shut all at once. Um, it is also, though, only two daughters are known to have lived to adulthood. Okay. But again, records, mm-hmm. we don't know. Maybe they all happened. Marie Laveau passed away peacefully in her bed at the age of 79, but her spirit has been seen many times throughout New Orleans, specifically in the St. Louis Cemetery where she's buried, where people still come to seek her help and leave offerings. You actually can't leave offerings at her actual grave anymore. You can't even go in the St. Louis Cemetery unless you're on a tour. Okay. uh, Because too many of the headstones got vandalized. But they moved a shrine across the street in 2015 where people can leave their offerings to protect her actual grave. And she's been seen walking around the shrine and also in Congo Square where she would hold her gatherings. All sightings have been very peaceful and people believe that she's still wandering around and watching over the people of New Orleans. Oh, I love that. She's a dream. This is why we have to go to New Orleans. I know. We We need a field trip. All of this being said, I really did love Angela Bassett's portrayal of Marie Laveau. Uh, the storyline in the show, basically, Marie Laveau is like still living in New Orleans in current day. Like she's mm-hmm. immortal and uh, she's living as a hairdresser and a voodoo queen still. And it's amazing. Also, it should be noted. So another character in season two or three, sorry, Coven of American Horror Story is Madame LaLaurie, mm-hmm. who we've talked about on the show before. She was basically a female serial killer who would torture and abuse and mutilate her slaves and servants um and in the show they're alive at the same time and they interact together and marie lebeau is actually the reason that she kind of like goes missing Mm -hmm. because madame la lurie fled after like everything was found with all of like her mutilated slaves but there's no record of her after that so no one knows what happened Mm -hmm. like it could very well be that her like carriage was attacked and she was horribly murdered yeah or she could have gotten away with it right but i didn't know they actually did exist at the same time they did yeah i did not know that there's nothing in history that shows that she came in contact with madame delphine lalaurie but they were in new orleans at the same time oh wow and one was a beautiful perfect heavenly creature and the other was the devil so it wouldn't be the craziest thing to happen that they came in contact with each other at one point yeah Oh my gosh, I never knew they were around at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I literally Googled it. So I was like, when were they? They're, they were there right. the exact same time. Would have loved to see a battle <laughs> between well, the two. Well, you can on American <laughs> Horror on Story. American Horror Story Coven. season three. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in. It's like we're sponsored by the show. So for Coven, I did Papa Legba. Love him. He's super fun. Basically, though, he's sort of. It's pretty much known that he's just a legend. I don't think anyone for sure knows that he was a person walking around. No, he's, um, I mean, they believe in him. Yes. I was like, it's something, I didn't know what I wanted to call him. A legend, uh, a spiritual being you believe in. Yeah. Yeah. He's so cool though. So he appeared in Coven's voodoo storyline as well. He was played by actor Lance Reddick. He's great. Yeah, he was so good. He's really he's good. perfect. And they made him look exactly like every illustration you see of Papa yeah. Legba. I was like, nailed it, guys. So Papa Legba is basically the gatekeeper of the spirit world, and he collects souls. 
Um, on the show, they made him a little shadier than kind of the legend goes because, you know, you got to make good television. It's American Horror Story. Exactly. <laughs> so on the show, he would have to make shady bargains with mortals um, saying, like, I'm going to teach you a lesson um, in order for you to get into the good afterlife. He condemns some souls to their own personal hells, but he also has the ability to send people to a positive afterlife. He interacts with Marie a lot. Also, I was trying to see who else he interacted with on the show. Pretty much everyone in that storyline yes he does interact with her as well mm-hmm. um and they all try to bargain with him to get their place in like the positive afterlife he's also an apocalypse my god you guys <laughs> i've made so many mistakes and the biggest one is not finishing apocalypse because i love papa legba um Okay, so, yeah, on the show, they make him a little shadier, but for the most part, then getting into the real story. So, in the practitioners of Haitian voodoo, they believe that there is a supreme creator um, named Bondi, B-O-N-D-Y-E, which translates into good god. Um, And this is like... Good god. Good god. (laughs) Um, So, this is like the supreme creator, and this god does not intercede in human affairs. So... For that job, they have what are called loas, L-O-A-S, which are like subservient spirits that are the intermediaries between the human life and the spirit world. So um, Papa Legba is a loa, which if you're relating it to the Catholic religion, because again, there was a lot of crossover with Roman Catholicism and voodoo, he would basically be a saint. So it was like there was a god and a saint, and that was a loa, and that's where Papa Legba comes in. Would he be like saint? St. Peter, or people said he was either like St. Peter or St. Lazarus or St. Anthony, the patron saint of lost things. They were like, he kind True. of related to any of those, but St. Peter makes St. Peter's sense. the one that like guards the gates of heaven. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it connects the most with that. I think the reason people say Lazarus is because he was a lame beggar and Papa Legba walks with a limp, but it's actually not because he struggles to walk. It's because they say he's walking in both the spirit world and the ah. human world. So he's like, so he's, he's a little like being off pulled his legs, both yes. ways. Being pulled in both directions, which I love. Or it's sort of like the spirit world has the gravity of the moon yeah. and the earth world has the <laughs> gravity so of earth. <laughs> so like one leg he's is like, so off. yeah, I'm floating over Hello. here. I've missed yes. my footing. Oh, my gosh. That is wonderful imagery. <laughs> that would be really difficult. So Papa Legba is usually depicted as a poor old man wearing a straw hat, dressed in rags, smoking a pipe. He's usually accompanied by dogs, dream life, and (laughs) he needs to lean on a crutch or a cane to walk. So at first glance, he would appear old and weak, but he is actually one of the most powerful people in the voodoo tradition. I love it. And his cane is not just a cane. It is the gateway between the human world and the heavens. So like that cane's going to let you in. It's like a wand. Yes. Yeah. It's a wizard, basically. (laughs) So Papa Legba is the great communicator. He speaks all of the languages of the world and of the gods, and he alone can open the door to let all the spirits into the human world and vice versa. Um, So no communication can happen with spirits without first saluting him. So any humans would have to come to him to communicate with the other world. So all ceremonies must first begin with an offering to Papa Legba, and then he will open the door and let other spirits into the world. He does command respect, but he is not he's not an evil being. He's benevolent. Right. He's, he's not going to smite you. No. He's actually known as a fatherly type figure, and it does not take too much to appease him. He's not very demanding. Um, he likes riddles. He likes to have a little fun. Um, but he really just wants you to bring him some sort of gift. I think it, somewhere I read 
He really likes people to bring him candies and coffee, which I mm-hmm. loved that little point. It's like, give me some sweets candies, and I'll be happy. Coffee, liquor. Yep. Shiny exactly. coins. A nice little alcoholic mm-hmm. beverage. Yeah, he's an easy guy to please. That's all you need to do to That's me. That's the thing. I'll like, be in, fine. In the show, in Coven, he wants like a, a sacrificed baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like, where they no, kind of no. twist it to be like, he's scary. And right. it's like, well, you have to bring him you something. You can literally horrible. bring him a coffee bean. Uh. Yep. Here's a hazelnut latte. <laughs> there you go. And I put yourself. a little Bailey's in it. And he's like, great. Wonderful. Come on in. What Let's would you like? do this. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take a lot for him. So just be nice to him. He wants the respect and he might want a little prezzy, but then he's going to connect you with the spirit world. Um, so there is disagreement on what day is right to pay him homage. Some say it's Monday, while others believe it's Tuesday or Wednesday. It sometimes differs from household to household what you believe. Or maybe Papa Legba has told different households different things. Mm. He's like, I, ha- I already am booked. Yeah, I'm booked, I'm booked Monday afternoon, so come here. Um, but he sounds like, honestly, one of the coolest guys in the world. And I yeah. would love to come in contact with him and have a little coffee together, you know? I have friends who are going to New Orleans... Uh Next week, I think. I think they leave next Tuesday. And I told them to make sure they kept an offering in their pocket for Papa Legba. Yes. Oh, we have to go, Ashley. I know. I know. I'm aware. <sighs> anyway. All right. For the sake of time, let's move on. Freak Show. Oh, so Freak Show Woo, is obviously. Show. Oh, it's, <gasps> it's a lot. But it's a good season. It I is like a good Freak season. Show. We were introduced to Twisty the Clown for the first time, which even mm-hmm. if you've never watched the show, you've you seen kind of the costume. It's the clown. everywhere. Oh, He's boy. real scary. He's so scary, especially when that mask comes off. Oh, my gosh. Holy it's horrible. Shit. I kind of wanted to barf. So uh, Freak Show, obviously, is their like, circus-themed season. takes mm-hmm. place at a circus, and it focuses on the quote-unquote freaks involved with the freak show Mm -hmm. and um all of the freaks in freak show are actually based on real historical people or a combination of people that worked uh, for circuses and freak shows of america's past right but the one i wanted to talk about is actually a jimmy darling portrayed by my all-time favorite american horror story actor evan peters we love him (laughs) (laughs) jimmy darling has ectrodactyly Ectrodactyly, also known as split hand or cleft hand. It's essentially when the middle digits are missing or fused together to make larger yet fewer digits. Think Oswald Cobblepot fingers. Mm -hmm. I assume if you haven't seen American Horror Story, you have seen Batman Returns. And if you haven't seen either of those things, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you even listening to this podcast? I have a list of things for you to watch. So Jimmy Darling is based off a man named Grady Franklin Stiles Jr. That's a mouthful. Yes, it is. He was an American freak show performer known as Lobster Boy back in the 60s. Much like Jimmy Darling, his family had a long history of ectrodactyly. (laughs) Boy, that's hard. His father said that it dated back to 1840. Grady Stiles ended up having four children. Two of them had ectrodactyly, and he took them on tour with him as the Lobster Family. Oh, boy. So in the show, Jimmy Darling is still, uh, he's very young. He's like early 20s. And he definitely gets into some violent situations because it's American Horror Story. And what is it? American Horror Story without murder and violence and sex and drugs and rock and roll? Of course. Technically, the personality of Grady Styles is more represented in the show by Del Toledo, who's played by Michael Chiklis. Okay. Which is the strongman character in American Horror Story Freak Show right. and Evan Peters, Jimmy Darling's father, like okay. birth father. Right. 
Because in real life, Styles was an alcoholic and physically abused his family. Yikes. I mean, like, he beat the shit out of them abusive. Come on. He would, like, headbutt his kids and knock them out. What? He was super dangerous because he lived his life in a wheelchair and had, like, insane upper body strength. So if he hit you, he like hit you. would you. fly yeah, backwards. you'd feel it. Oof. So in 1988... He shot and killed his oldest daughter's fiance the night before their wedding, which is bonkers sad. That's so awful. He was brought to trial and openly confessed to killing the man, but he was convicted of third degree murder and he was not sent to prison, mostly because no institution was equipped to care for an inmate with his condition, um, condition his mm-hmm. encumbrance. But also he was given sympathy because he had cirrhosis of the liver from all of his drinking and he had emphysema from all of his smoking. So they just kind of were like, you don't have much time left. Yeah, you're probably going to die soon. And like, we feel bad for you. Yeah. So he was sentenced to house arrest and 15 years probation. He stopped drinking and he remarried his first wife, Mary, but pretty much immediately started drinking again and became even more abusive and violent than he was before. In 1992, he was shot and killed. Supposedly, Mary and her son from a previous marriage named Harry Glenn Newman Jr. A lot of long names in this family. Oh, goodness gracious. Apparently, the two of them hired a 17-year-old sideshow performer named Chris Wyant to kill Styles for $1,500. Wyant ended up being convicted of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 27 years in prison. Mary Teresa was given 43 years in prison. She actually only served 12, I believe. Okay. For conspiracy to commit murder, and her son, Harry Newman, was given life in prison since he was supposedly the mastermind behind the whole thing. Oh. Grady Stiles' son, Grady Stiles III, he was one of the, I, I believe he was one of the children that had the ectrodactyly. Okay, he had it going on too. Says that that's not actually what happened. What happened... He says is that his father was in a drunk, abusive tirade. And at some point, his stepmother said something needs to be done. And Harry Newman, her son, overheard and went to a neighbor and repeated it. And the neighbor shot and killed Styles shortly thereafter, which I don't know. Maybe could be a cover up. He might just be covering for his stepmom. Right. So who That's knows? sort of what I think. Yeah. <laughs> but- his son actually has a video interview online after American Horror Story uh, Freak Show came out where he talks about his dad and says to his dad, who's deceased, obviously, quote, thank you for showing me who not to be. And maybe you can appreciate who I became because of that. You were a drunken bastard, but you were my dad. Damn. So that was uh, Lobster Boy. Lobster Boy. He was a freak show performer turned murderer turned murdery. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He just really went on a journey, you know? That was quite a trip. A life. I chose, there were so many from Freak Show. All there the characters are, are so mm-hmm. fascinating and a lot of them, again, There's related of to real like people. Dandy Mott was kind of based off of um, like the Norman Bates character, mm-hmm. Ed Gein. Right. With his like kind of strange relationship with his mother. A very strange relationship. Yeah. And then he eventually was like, all, like, like homicidal yeah. tendencies. Oof. Yeah. There were a lot of cool little nods nods to yes. historical people so i chose a very fun one um mostly because no one is 
completely sure about this guy if he existed or not but the story is wonderful regardless i love it edward mordrake love from it. freak show the very handsome wes bentley mm-hmm. plays him very on American handsome Horror Story. not a super great actor no he's not great he's very good looking <laughs> we're, we're, but we're watching like, hotel and it's like jesus christ yeah, wes bentley he's not great but he's nice, but to, he's look nice at. to look at yes he's very nice he had like the the long sideburns going on in the show and strangely worked them. I still thought he was hot. So he appears as Edward Mordrake in the Halloween episode of Freak Show um, playing a man who has another face, an evil face attached to the back of his head. Um, And the evil face is basically making him a murderous bad person so whispers to him yes he whispers to him and so on the show he's going around and murdering people and he's terrible in real life it was believed that edward mordrake who may or may not have had the small face on the back of his neck wasn't a murderer but was in a deep dark depression because he was being told very evil things by this face on the back of his neck but it wasn't necessarily like go kill people it was more like you're not worth anything and you shouldn't be on yeah. the earth anymore so it's this first came out in december ni- or 1895 sorry the boston sunday post published an article called the wonders of modern science presented by the royal scientific society so it sounded very prestigious and people they were listening up it was about different human freaks as they called them i believe they even talked about a human crab which was like a little not over to Lobster Boy, possibly. And then they talked about Edward Mordrake, um, who became one of the biggest legends out of this. So the Post reported that this man existed who was a very good-looking English nobleman. He was a musician. Um, he was very rich. He, for the most part, wore a hat and lived a normal life. Except if you got to know him, you realize that under the hat, there was the face of a girl on the back of his neck, which is the craziest part. Nice. It was a female. It was a beautiful girl. Um who was lovely, they said, quote unquote, lovely as a dream, but hideous as a devil. So she would basically um, smile and sneer and laugh any time that Edward Mordrake was upset and weeping. So if he was feeling sadness, she would be laughing about it on the back of his neck and basically um, be just whispering horrible things and speaking of hell and speaking of the devil and drove him to madness so sad that at the age of 23 this good looking had his whole life out of him guy committed suicide because he just didn't see another way out he was hearing these whispers around the clock remove the head without killing him exactly because it's not like the head was sticking out it was like on his neck yeah it was it was a part of him and so he would have died if you tried to get rid of it and so um, he left behind a note saying um, to get rid of the face after his death because he doesn't want it to whisper to him beyond the grave. That's how much he needed to be rid of this. Um, and nobody knows for sure if he shot himself in the head or if he shot little the lady face. in the back. Yeah. Yes. yes. But killed himself. And so then the controversy comes in. In 1896, um, American doctors George Gould and Walter Pyle wrote a book, again, a very similar thing. It was called Anomalies and Curiosities of Medicine and included some interesting human conditions in the book, and they included the Mordrake story. Um, and these were very successful doctors. You would believe them because they they had very successful medical practices. They were legitimate. So people were reading the story and believed it. For a full century, this was just like, we know this guy Common exists. knowledge, yes. yeah. 
it wasn't until 2015 where this blog called the Museum of Hoaxes did like a deep dive investigation and realized that the original Boston Post article that came out was written by a poet and science fiction writer. Mm. And there was no evidence to support that more Drake was ever a real person. There are photos of him. That was the other thing is there was a photo that surfaced and that was debunked. And turns out it's just a wax figure. That's not like, excuse me. It was a wax figure and not an actual head. Like this museum of hoaxes blog uncovered that, that it was wax all along and not a real thing. So that's the thing is no one knows for sure if it's real because I wanted to get into how the truth could possibly be there because there are things that exist that could point to this man being real. There is something called craniofacial duplication, um, which is basically meaning two faces. A craniofacial duplication is a very rare disorder in which you're born with duplicates of some facial features. So you could be born with like four eyes or two mouths or a couple of limbs. Usually it's facial features, but it, that could have been what's going on is another face had appeared on the back of his neck if mm-hmm. this was existing. It could also be craniopagus parasiticus, mm. much nicer known as a parasite twin, Great. Um, which is an even more rare type of parasitic twin occurring in only four to six of every 10 million births. So in the parasite twin disorder, a twin head with no body would be attached to the head of the actual developed oh twin, my gosh. Okay. which that sounds more like what he would have had if it's real. So science points to that this absolutely could have happened, and this poet could be writing about a real experience that he had. However, there just isn't enough evidence to know whether Richard Mordrake was real or not. But the legend has plowed through time through and through people still talk about it today so as we always say i think it's more fun to believe that he was real the thing is too is that like this man could have existed with his face on the back of his head and he could have had he could have been schizophrenic totally he could have had a mental disorder where he heard voices and attributed it to the face on the back of his head and really nothing was talking at all yeah that's very true i didn't even think of that So so who knows who knows could have existed he could have not but it's a very crazy character to have in the world regardless and they did a great job of it on the show I oh think. it was yeah. very fun that oh, was my yeah. favorite part of I the whole it. season was and it was the Edward halloween Mordrake. episode it was just great i was a big fan okay <laughs> moving on our last uh, season that we're talking about today we're going to talk about hotel hotel is a season that's a little too cuckoo bananas for me but It is littered with amazing references to historical, weird, or creepy people and events. Mm -hmm. The hotel itself is actually based off the Cecil Hotel, which we talked about in Season 2, Episode 25, Cowboy Boots and Dead Body Water. Um, This is the strange hotel that Elisa Lamb died in and was found days later in the water tower, only after the inhabitants of the hotel complained of the smell and taste of the water, which makes me want to I feel sick all over again every time I hear it. This is actually featured in a quick little like shot of American Horror Story Hotel. There's like shots of people drinking water and it tastes bad. They say like, don't drink the water on floor five. You're like, da-da, I know what you're talking about. about. So one crazy character, an event that takes place in hotel that happened in real life, and it's so tragic and sick and sad. The character's name is Miss Evers. Miss Evers, who is the maid that cleans up after Mrs. Mr. March's messes again and again. Mr. March, I believe you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So um, she died at the hotel at the hands of Mr. March in a murder-suicide because she was so lost and distraught after the death of her son. But her son wasn't just dead. 
He was abducted and murdered at the hands of Gordon Stewart Northcott in the case of the Wineville chicken coop murders that took place in the 1920s in California. Northcott, the real guy, was convicted in the 1929 killing of three boys, but only because that's all they could prove. They found many, many, many more bodies in a mass grave underneath his chicken coop, but by that time they were just bones and they couldn't be identified. Northcott would rape and kill boys and bury them at his farm. Hate this guy. As horrific as that, oh, this guy is like the worst. He's so bad. As horrific as that is, the craziest story that came out of the chicken coop murders was the story of Christine Collins, whose son was abducted and murdered by Northcott. But after the boy got abducted and she reported his disappearance, the police brought her back a different 12-year-old boy and made him go home with her. <sighs> Basically, they found this boy, a 12-year-old runaway named Arthur Hutchins Jr., and asked if he was Walter Collins, to which he said no. But then they asked him again, and he was like, sure, sure yeah, I guess. I get, fine. So they brought him to Christine. And of course, she was like, nope, this isn't this my, is son. Not my son. I think, think I would know. <laughs> He's been missing for a week. Like, it's not like it's right. been a thousand years. Because the officers were under pressure to resolve the case, because so many, like, young boys had gone missing, mm -hmm. the captain literally tried to convince her to take the kid home. And he is quoted as saying, try the boy out. Oh like you lost a 12 year old boy. Here's a 12 year old boy. How do you Just think like, that's OK? It. Just take this random 12 year old and so smile. Nuts. Smile. It's fine. She, of course, returned to the station was like, this isn't my kid. Uh -uh. Dude, it's not my kid. And I don't want him. I don't want this guy. <laughs> they continued to try and gaslight her and say that it was her son, even though she brought along dental records that would prove to not be a match and witness testimony from family and friends. They still tried to accuse her of being a bad mother and that she was just trying to bring ridicule to the police. They had her committed to a psychiatric ward at Los Angeles County Hospital under a, quote, code 12, which is basically committing someone who is deemed difficult or an inconvenience. Holy hell. I can't believe that it's that was a so thing. Awful. I can't believe they would turn the tables oh, on her yeah. when they brought her a different child. They knew it was not him. It's batshit nuts. Eventually, the boy admitted he wasn't her son, thank God, or who knows how long she would have stayed in right. the psychiatric ward. But she got out Ooh. 10 days later. She filed a lawsuit against the LAPD and she won $10,800, which is like, yay. But then you find out she never actually got paid the money. Oh, I do remember that. She was Such never bullshit. given the money. Oh, and also her real son is absolutely dead and she spent her entire life searching for him or his body, but he's never been found. So basically her life was atrocious and you should be ashamed of yourself. <sighs> Everyone involved except for her, who was an yes. angel. Sweet angel who just wanted her boy back. Yeah. It's so tragic. So in the they don't really go into all of that in the uh in hotel. Miss Evers is just a character and you see her son get abducted and you find out that it, he was a victim of the chip, chicken coop murders. Mm -hmm. And he was abducted wearing a sheet. He was a ghost. Um, like she didn't have time to make him a costume. So she just cut eye holes out and like gave him the sheet. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. But that's why she's so obsessed with washing sheets. Uh-huh. Because, like washing blood out of sheets because of her son being murdered being in, in her ghost in his ghost costume. There's also so a movie, and honestly, I haven't seen. I own the DVD, but I've never what? seen it called The Changeling. Yes, 
with is it good? What's Her Toes. Angelina Angel Jolie. Jolie. Yeah, it's pretty good. It yeah. wasn't like my favorite thing in the world, but she's a good actress. She does a good job. But honestly, I think the reason I don't love it is because I was so frustrated. Yeah. And it, so it's no fault of the movie. The story, I was just like, I, very I'm going to kill someone. Like, this woman <laughs> is not insane and you're making her look insane. And yeah. I was like climbing my walls. But... Yeah, it's pretty good. She okay. has a wonderful performance. Right. I'll watch it eventually. Yeah. I bought it for like $3 and I was like, I'm going to watch this. And then I just That's it. so funny that you own it. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, it's what is this? It's sitting right over there. <laughs> it's not the worst. Anyways. Okay. So for the Mr. final March. story, Mr. March, season five, hotel. So James March or Mr. March, who owns the Hotel Cortez, which is what it's the called Cecil. in the show, but it's the Cecil, um, played by, can you guess? Ooh, who is it? Is it <laughs> Evan Peters? It's Evan Peters, Evan you guys, because we're obsessed with him. So Mr. March is supposed to be the very famous, you've all heard of him, H.H. Holmes. Love it. One of my favorite books is Devil in the White City. It's so, so good. It has a little bit of a slow start, but stick with it. Because I it's still amazing. haven't gotten to the point where it gets good. I know. Because you I've have to go through so all like, the history of Chicago, the yes, world's and it's fair, like the, the architecture. architecture. And I'm like, I don't give a flying fuck Girl, about this architecture. Because then it's really okay, good. Um, yeah. Devil in the White City. H.H. Holmes. It's wonderful. So... H.H. H. Holmes arrived in Chicago, worked at a pharmacy in Jackson Park, was there for about eight years building friendships and gaining trust of people. Then the World's Fair was coming into town, into Chicago, in Jackson Park in 1893. So this is when he decided to have a little bit of an evil plan. So he was a very charismatic, charming, lovely man. Aren't they all? So he was able to swindle money from his drugstore employers and then purchase an empty lot across the street in Chicago and build this huge structure that was going to be shops on the first floor and small apartments above. He wanted to capitalize on the fact that the World's Fair was coming into town and take advantage of the millions of people coming from all over the world and just make a shit ton of money. It was how it looked to the outside of like, oh, he's building this amazing property. He's just he wants a hotel for people to stay in and to get rich. Right. But little did people know. He had a lot more up his sleeve. The building became known as the Murder Castle because it was a full-blown, like booby-trapped building full of mazes, trapdoors, chutes leading down into the basement. That gas chambers. Gas chambers. Pots of acid were also waiting in the basement. He also had a crematorium in the basement. He was horrible. This whole time, everyone just thought he was making this nice hotel for the people coming to the World's Fair, and he was just making this murder dungeon the entire time, secretly. Um, it was horrific. So the rooms all basically had trap doors that were covering chutes that Holmes would drop his victims down that went into the building's basement. And this is where the acid vats and pits of quicklime were waiting to help corpses decay faster. And then, like I said, the crematorium, which he would burn people to hide the evidence. And to he was hiding in plain sight for a while. So, yeah. I mean, it was working. So he lured many visitors who came to the World's Fair into this awful murder castle. Um, he would tell them, I have cheap lodgings. Come and stay with me. Um, and it was mostly women because, again, he was so charming and good looking that women were like of course and you own this wonderful place and so they would go in you own your own place i'll come (laughs) in he actually had an assistant who knew what he was doing and then this bastard had an affair with the assistant's wife and then murdered his assistant and then had the wife and their children come live with him but then he murdered them as well yeah so he's just the worst 
Um, he claims that he murdered up to 200 people. Um, no. It is believed that he could have killed up to 200 people based on things that they found. He confessed to 27 murders. However, they were only able to prove nine of the murders. So they think he said 27, like, to stay face, because at this point he was kind of boasting and saying, like, this is what I did. Like, he's already caught at this point. So when right. he was being um, charged, he was like, yeah, it was 27. But they could only prove nine um, also, so much of the evidence was destroyed in his vats and crematorium that yeah. it was hard to prove the rest. But well, he would also sell skeletons to hospitals to study and and, and yeah. schools. Exactly, he got rid of everything, so he knew how to cover his tracks. But um, yeah, police did eventually discover a couple bodies. In the home when they went in to investigate, and he was on the run. I forget where they actually found him, but like they went into the house to investigate, and he was already long gone, but they were able to catch up to him, and they were able to charge him officially with nine murders, but again, it could have been so much more. And he had a horrible murder castle of people. And he was hung, right? He was. He was hanged. He was hanged. When was the World's Fair? 1893? So I think it was like 1896 he was hanged, but yeah. And Evan Peters is amazing this is probably his strongest performance mm-hmm. in the series it's not my favorite uh season and right. it's not even Agreed. my favorite character of his but, but performance he wise nails he's it. and he's he's great mr march he's mr. March. wonderful yeah and he's a horrible human being and yeah, he does that's it basically quite what well. he does he builds yep. the hotel and he uh, designs it to have secret passageways and different chutes that lead down to the basement yep. that he could dump bodies in. It's and just his murder he hotel. He would do things where he would like, he would, and H.H. H. Holmes did this as well, where he would literally like build, he would like knock people out and put them in the walls and then like seal up the walls and they would just like die suffocate and die in the wall. Which is the worst way to go, I'd kidding? have to say. That is the Good most Lord. horrifying. Oh my gosh, that gives me nightmares. It gives me the willies. <laughs> It's so horrible. So yeah, they, I mean, H.H. Holmes was horrific, but they took it absolutely even a step further with Mr. March and just made him the worst person on the planet. But yeah, he, they made the hotel just his little murder labyrinth, basically, and he was dumping people down chutes, just like H.H. Holmes. But it's just crazy to me because you see it in the show. You're like, yeah, this is so spooky and creepy, American Horror Story. And then when I really sit there and think about it, it's like, no, a man did this in plain yep. sight during the World's Fair where millions of people were in Chicago. Like, that blows my mind. It's crazy. I do like the theory as well that H.H. Um, H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that before. <laughs> we didn't. I feel like we I'm talked about it on sure This we Week and Weird. we figured it out that he He's wasn't. Not after uh, all. But, but it's, I like to think that he was. It's fun to believe. <laughs> I'll just say it every time. Yeah, we did get excited about that. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for listening and consistently supporting our show. And thank you for allowing us to take a brief hiatus to recharge your batteries before we finish out Season 3 and 2019 in November and December. Our next episode should be airing November 8th, but we will keep you updated as usual. Make sure you're following us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all platforms. You still have about six days to participate in our October giveaways. Again, you've got six days. Both contests end at midnight on October 31st. Check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast to donate to the show and get bonus episodes and newsletters and a discount on merch. 
Go to our Etsy page at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast to check out our merch. And hey, while you're there, why don't you buy something? Yeah. Purchase <laughs> and something. And make sure you send us a picture of yourself wearing something. Yes, we, those are my um, favorite. It gives us butterflies and yes. makes our stomach jump up into you our throats, but so in a cute. good way. I love it. Um, we hope you have the happiest of Halloweens. Yes. Enjoy the best holiday of the year. Yeah. Get spooky. We hope you've already gotten spooky this month, but you've, you know, you got a week left to get yeah. even more spooky. Get jiggy with it. You Send know? us a message. Tell us what you're doing. We want to see pictures of you in the pumpkin patch. Bob we want to see your apples. costumes. Yep. Tell us your cider recipe. Carve a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't think of anything else. Make a candle. Make a candle. Is that a thing? Sure. No. I don't think it is. <laughs> but you can make a candle if you'd like. But we will see you in November. And remember, on Wednesdays, we wear black. Ooh. And keep it weird. And keep it weird. That's the um, That's the tagline for Coven. That makes sense. I was like, <laughs> when you said, and remember, I thought we were going to say, keep it weird keep at the same weird. time. And I was like, <gasps> Wednesday's, <laughs> Wednesday's black. <laughs> what is this? Naughty pie.